Wow. We're like a well-oiled machine. I know. We finally got it. Yeah. Yeah. I finally, uh, well, not finally, because I guess this is the first time you're hearing about it, but um, so my birthday is next weekend. I'm having a Barbie Oppenheimer themed birthday. Um, basically, yeah. it just means black and pink, but I just picked out all of the all of the decorations from Party City. It's gonna be a lot oh, of black fun. and pink. Yeah. yeah. I think my um I think my invitation got lost in the mail. Oh, that's crazy. Uh right? yeah. I wonder how that happened. Dude. I I I will check in with that and I'll I'll talk to your people. Um <laughs> I, I got your people's number. You know right? what? I don't want to come to your birthday anyway, Michael. It's fine. Um Oh, thank God. <laughs> So how how many minutes did you make it through that Ben Shapiro uh, video? Shapiro? 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 I don't know. Well, to answer your question, I didn't even open up the link because I oh. don't need that kind of negativity uh, in my life. That's that's a mistake. It was uh... honestly, what is he going to say that is <laughs> is going to be surprising to me? Oh, I hated the, uh, the this movie was too woke. The the part the part where. I mean, obviously, all of it was ridiculous, but he says there's one joke in the movie. The only joke in the movie is that when Barbie turns on her shower or when she drinks out of a cup or when she eats any food, nothing is there. It's like, oh, that's just, the only joke. That's though? the that's the only joke in Barbie. I can confirm having seen Barbie that that is the only joke. It doesn't surprise me that his sense of humor <laughs> is like. 1930s like vaudevillain <laughs> shit like like oh it's not really there the water's like, not there. that dude watches abbott and costello and he is like pissing his pants laughing hey hey don't no attacking abbott and costello here all right i know, I know that's a little bit of a song that was that was a rude uh yeah i don't like that i honestly like i wonder what people like him like what does he watch for fun like bum fights is that like is that what he's watching or how how does ben shapiro unwind like i don't think you're asking the, the right question freedom? is he going to sound of freedom and be like yeah america i don't think you're what you're asking the right question because these people are not able or they're not capable of having fun that's the thing so for them fun is a foreign abstract concept I don't know if any of this is salvageable for a for a cold open. We might need to start start from the top. Uh, I disagree. I feel like you can always find something. Mm, we'll see. We we shall see. I mean, it, it, the, the cold open could just be uh, a three minute clip of an explosion. If you say, <laughs> just... like, I'm fine with that. It just destroy people's eardrums. <laughs> before. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the Hot Take Time Machine podcast. My name is Michael Debo. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined by my co-host, 
Ryan Trepanier, a man who is always Knuff. How are you? Ryan. I was going to make the same joke if you let me do the opening, Michael. I swear, I swear I was going to do it. Beat you to it. Beat you to it. Hi, Michael. <laughs> Hi, Ryan. Hi, Michael. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> oh, so, man. It's if, finally upon us. If you can't tell already, um, <laughs> we have seen we have seen the Barbie movie. We've also seen the Oppenheimer movie. Which is why we're both doing this podcast naked. For no reason at all we're just doing the entire podcast naked i have a really funny story about that that scene <laughs> that we'll get into once we get to oppenheimer that's not a spoiler there's nudity in oppenheimer it's in the thing but we'll yeah. we'll we'll delineate but we are we are podcasting naked just yeah yeah unless you're watching a clip of this and then you're clearly gonna know we're lying yeah um, yeah and then <laughs> our tiktok comments are gonna be uh on fire again can't wait <laughs> these two fucking phonies <laughs> the phony the big phony phonies they said uh, they were naked they're not <laughs> um all right well michael I, i'll kind of let you drive the car i am so excited um i'm, drive I'm really our excited plastic too. dream car yeah to to the real world please yeah this um i mean it, it was a definitely a special weekend it felt like the super bowl for movies yeah um yeah ironically enough that has nothing to do with the academy awards or any kind of awards <laughs> but um yeah what a big weekend and we will get into it in just a second but today uh we wanted on this episode we wanted to start off uh just talking about the elephant in the room um in the time that we had off um the actors union which is sag uh, just went on strike and they're of course uh, joining alongside uh, the writers who went on strike a couple of months ago shortly before we began this podcast um, so just a quick recap for anyone who is unaware of this strike or maybe you're confused about what the strike is even about um, basically you have the uh, writers guild of america uh, the w- wga Uh, which has 11,000 workers who walked off set in early May. That meant that uh, no one was was writing new movies. uh, No one was writing for TV shows. Um, There also wasn't any writing going on for um, like the late night talk shows and things like that. It's also important to know, Michael, I I think people don't realize that writing doesn't stop when you finish the script. You don't Mm -hmm. write a script and be like, okay, done, next. Uh, Writing continues all the way through filming you are always rewriting you are always updating Mm -hmm. the script so a lot of things that are in production or were in production when that writer's strike happened were were affected by that writer's strike they're still allowed to shoot they can they can shoot they just cannot rewrite they can't they can't write anything they can't even like ad lib yeah right yeah ryan reynolds doing deadpool 3 could not make up new lines as deadpool while that writer strike is going on yeah yeah uh, very important to note um and we're no strangers to a writer's strike um i think it was back in 2007 2008 uh, there was also a writer's strike and um it impacted tv pretty heavily i mean like there's tv shows that you can go back to now and there's always that one season that's yeah. a little bit shorter than than the rest of the others uh, and that's because that season was impacted by the writer's strike at the time. That being said, like TV was 
very very different 15 years ago right mm-hmm. like tv was on network and you had like your 26 episodes you like you had seasons and and uh like actual like you know um you had tv season right tv season was september to may and then like you had the summer break things have changed a lot since then i mean there are some people who are still clinging to their cable boxes with white grips but you know everything's on streaming now yeah and the fact that everything is on streaming is a big reason why the writers guild um, is going on strike and uh, also a big reason why the actors guild then went on strike as well so on july 14th uh, SAG-AFTRA, the uh, Actors Guild, um, which has 160,000 performers in it, uh, also joined the walkout over similar issues. So just a quick uh, overview of some of the issues that uh, both unions are striking against or uh, want to negotiate is the streaming business model, um, which pays them less for uh, what is in a lot of cases, more work. Um, Their residual payments are also quite low. Uh, Residual payments, as we know, are uh, the checks that you get after your show airs, um, which was quite lucrative in the cable TV era. But as we'll get into in a moment, um, in streaming, these people are not making a whole lot of money over uh, residual payments. Um, and then there's also the issue of uh, of AI. Um, they want a guarantee that these production companies are not going to be using AI uh, for Hollywood extras or uh, recreating the the uh, the look of of the actors um, without their permission. So it's it's a lot of plates in the air. It's a lot of uh, a lot of things going on, but. Uh, that's just kind of a quick recap of uh, what these unions are striking about it's also like it's really important to to uh, delineate a strike like this versus something like when the MLB went on strike or or when any of these like major leagues go on strike like the NHL NBA you know we think of like millionaires striking against billionaires Sure, there are like big name actors and we can name like maybe a hundred that are just, you know, r- rich, famous. They get $20, $20 million a movie and stuff like that. But this strike is, you said 160,000 people in are in the, the guild. Like yeah, yeah. Sam Russell, who was in Oppenheimer as M Corridor staff uncredited he's <laughs> part of this guild right like yeah like yeah this is who this is who we're striking for like the majority of these members are making living wages like they're, they're making you know they're they're not they're not living in california mansions they are yeah they are doing a day job just like us theirs is just way cooler than ours yeah i think it's really important to make to note that because yeah um i i read something that said i think 80 percent of the actors in the uh in sag are you know just basically working class actors like yeah absolutely we might see this and go like well they're all millionaires what are they complaining about but you're looking at a small percentage of you know the the top in their field that are making that sort of money you know not everyone's getting like the robert downey jr deal uh, on the marvel movies you know there's a lot of people who have to work uh, two sometimes three jobs to make ends meet 
And as we all know, cost of living has gone up as well. And that's definitely the case in a in a place like California, uh, where all these actors typically live because they want to be close to their productions. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. So uh, that's another one of the demands as well as increased minimum pay rates um, alongside the residuals and the uh, royalty payments. Um, of course, the CEOs of these production companies have not been uh, not been kind. Um, Shocking. I want to read one one of the quotes. This was like immediately after this, the the actors went on strike. Is this Bob Iger? Well, we well Bob Iger said one thing. Bob Iger said that uh, the demands of the writers and the actors were unrealistic. Yeah, like um, that one, which is which is insane considering my man makes twenty seven million dollars a year, and that's not even including his bonuses or anything. Yeah. Meanwhile, you got people who are writing for some of their biggest shows that are getting paid, you know, 300 bucks for a residual. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Not to mention uh, their VFX teams that are they're, they're uh, getting yeah. shafted too. Just wait until that's up. I don't know if they're unionized, actually, but I hope they are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, we've all heard the stories about, like, how Marvel, like, grinds their VFX artists' bones into dust. To get yes. every hair on uh, Rocket Raccoon correct, um, but this this quote is from an anonymous studio executive who I've heard is most likely Bob Iger. But they said uh, the end game is to allow things to drag <laughs> on until union members start losing their apartments and losing their houses, which is just cartoonishly evil. Yes. Also, that was Bob Iger. It it would have only been more clear if he said the end game is that the guardians of these <laughs> I know. we're in the end game now. <laughs> you can almost imagine like Thanos saying that. <laughs> yeah, no, I you know it's 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 crazy that we're still having these these labor conversations in 2023. Um and 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 these like billionaires like absolute i'm sure bob Iger is a billionaire right mm -hmm. um it, it, what are we doing like like what are we actually doing everyone is crying poverty but the reality is you know the top is still the top is still very much fed there this is a little bit of an aside but um in that clip where Bob Iger calls the demands of of the actors and the writers unrealistic. This wasn't included in that news story, but Bob Iger did that interview from like a billionaire like overnight camp where a bunch of billionaires and CEOs meet up and they just talk about like whatever, right? Like Mark Zuckerberg is there, like you name it, that person's <laughs> probably there. That sounds so, like like a Dr. Evil like like, do they meet in a volcano? <laughs> like, like... It's it's literally like uh, I don't know. It's like um, some kind of like uh, I don't know farmland or something. But legit, like if they panned over just a little bit, you just see like a fleet of private jets in the background. Like that's how that's the kind of wealth we're talking about here. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. there is another uh, cartoonishly evil example that I wanted to bring up here, which is something that happened earlier this week. And I told you about this already, Brian. 
Um, so outside of Universal, so we all know Universal Pictures, outside of their headquarters in L.A., um, where uh, workers have been striking, um, something mysterious happened to the trees that were outside of there. <laughs> yes. So the trees have been cut down. Uh, they were trimmed um, right outside of Universal. Um, obviously, these trees would have provided shade to anyone who was on strike. Um, the city of Los Angeles said that they did not order for those trees to be trimmed. Um, they didn't even receive a request for them to be trimmed. Um, I've also seen some people who are like horticulturists, culturalists and arborists saying this is not the season to be trimming those trees. And it's just like, obviously, again, this is just a CEO or some higher up who doesn't like the fact that people are people are asking for their fair share and wants to eliminate the, the only thing keeping these people cool in like this crazy heat wave that we're going through again cartoonishly evil yeah so um a little bit about what has changed for the union actors um so anyone who is in a union they're not filming right now they also can't promote um any of their projects so um i believe it was at the premiere of oppenheimer um wherever that was uh the strike actually started in the middle of that premiere so the actors literally just walked off yeah. um in the middle of the premiere of Oppenheimer and um yeah they won't be promoting um any movies any upcoming movies and there's already been some movies that are getting moved um so I mean all, in all likelihood we're looking at a little bit of a drought coming up uh, for new yeah. releases um probably soon yeah all the all the experts seem to think this is not going to be a short um it's not going to be a short strike i mean that that quote from the anonymous ceo sort of indicates the strategy here is to is to wait them out and that's that's not good for that's not good for us if uh if what we want is is more good content um feels like we're uh we're warming up to a reality reality tv winter um, <laughs> which i'm uh not excited about but you know me i love myself some reality tv i know you're fine michael you're strike away but i also love people getting paid their fair share so that's fair um but there is a little bit of a glimmer um independent productions have been given permission to move forward with their filming um there's about 39 independent productions that were given the okay last i checked um, a lot of them are A24 productions. So, I mean, yeah. just confirming what we already knew, A24 is one of the best uh, production companies out there. And um, also shows that the little guys have no problem meeting their demands. So for Bob Iger to say that it's unrealistic uh, is frankly a, a load of shit. Yeah, no, it, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's obviously bullshit. And especially when you think about especially Disney, right? Like Disney makes money from so many different sources that, mm -hmm. you know, to, to say like, oh, we're not making enough money on our Marvel movies or Secret Invasion on Disney Plus. Like, yeah, but you got the parks. Like, like you, <laughs> you haven't got other things. I'm sure you're okay. You're eating well. Oh, I mean, it's it hasn't even been like three years since they bought Fox. Like, yeah. you just bought, you <laughs> bought an entire other company. Like, <laughs> You got the money. You're good. Uh, yeah, no, good it's, it, it's, you know? it's, uh, 
it's it's really it's really shitty it's really sad and like the reality as as it always happens the people are the, that are going to be most affected apart from obviously the workers who are currently not getting a paycheck but you know this is and i'm sorry i'm stealing your your next point but this is bad for fans this is bad for for mm-hmm. people who like movies people who like superhero movies who like ryan reynolds if there are <laughs> three people still left who, who like ryan reynolds it's great um sorry to you three people uh, you're gonna have to wait for deadpool almost certainly right you're gonna have to we're gonna have to wait for um well i hope this doesn't affect i don't we're gonna have to wait for the next avatar movie man <laughs> and and spider-man the, and that's spider-man actually, yeah so, so the spider-man movie i'm not sure uh th- this is what i'm interested to know is how much of that is already filmed well, we're we we are talking about Spider Man Beyond the Spider Verse, just so Correct. people are clear, not yes, the live yes. action. Yes, the the, the, sec- the part two of the you know yeah. Fantastic Part One. Um, my understanding is that a lot of that movie was already filmed, so they can do they can still do all the technical work, right? The the thing that they're not allowed to do right now is film actors, right? They can absolutely still edit film, they can release films, um, but actors are not working. You cannot get an actor in front of a camera you can't get an actor to record any like adr uh lines or anything like that um uh sorry adr i I hate using acronyms and not defining them Uh, i don't know what adr actually stands for but it's when you record dialogue after filming and then you'll plug it in there's some movies that are notoriously bad uh the room is a very good example of a movie that is all adr nothing was recorded what do you mean the uh, room is a great movie i love that movie but all of that dialogue is added in after and it makes it sound very stilted very unorganic because it wasn't filmed in in those moments anyway that yeah very yeah. short but yes so anything involving actors and needing actors to work is shut down that doesn't stop film editing. That doesn't stop any of any of that stuff. So you might see we, we might get like a a little bit of a documentary boom, right? We can still do documentaries, I think. Yeah. You know, um, um I haven't seen anything about documentaries. I know that commercials are actually still good. Oh, okay. Um interesting. Video game work you can still do. Yeah. It's like a couple of things that they can still do. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, no movies, no TV, no promotion sure sure and just a, a couple of other notes that i have here um i just to like really reiterate the point that like the this is not like a new thing like the model that these production companies have been running on has been flawed for a very long time so um people may have seen this but there's an actor from uh, orange is the new black uh kimiko glenn um which is it's a big show that's one of netflix's first earliest hits uh she showed a residual check uh, that she received for 27 dollars and 30 cents from netflix and she appeared in 44 episodes of that show yeah yeah it's absurd and yeah no it's 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 insane and um like especially netflix and these streaming companies they sort of they want everything to be traditional like they these traditional models they don't accept that things have changed so much like they they kind of want their cake they they want to have their cake and eat it too they they demand traditional payoffs but then do things in non-traditional and modern ways because the way of the world has changed so much and 
it's yeah it's yeah. it's incredible that we're at this point but yeah and then you know netflix has done other things to try and increase their revenue such as you know stopping password sharing and um uh, they've introduced ads in different tiers um, of their subscription and all of these things. And apparently it's just not enough. You know, um, I've even got some of the numbers here for how much these guys make. Ted Sarandos, uh, Netflix CEO, made $50.3 million last year. He's handing out $27 checks. Um, we already mentioned Bob Iger. He made... 27 or 25 million dollars last year again that's not including any of his bonuses uh david zaslov of warner brothers made 39.3 million dollars last year yeah it's just it's it's absurd um the level of wealth that these that these guys have and they're not willing to uh to share with the people who have made them that money um which i think is the truly uh, unrealistic thing here yeah, and and like, it's it's good that the the actors have, you know, they they've striked now in order. Like, I hope this brings more light. I mean, all this is to say, I hope this brings more light to the writers because the writers, I think, are often the ones that get forgotten. Um, you know, everyone everyone sees an actor, they they relate to actors. But the writers are the one in this in this real bind right now with how things have changed and the way like I mean the you know the the question of um, you know how how you get paid on a television show twenty years ago as opposed to now mm-hmm. you know that not having changed the residuals um, that affects writers just as much if not more than than actors right yeah um, yeah th- the fact that you're not actually being you're not being incentivized to do well in this new model is is ridiculous because a, a flop makes as much money for that writer as a as a hit show mm-hmm. right yeah. and that's just that seems like a really bad system not only for people getting paid but also for fans like i want people to need to write the best thing like you know to want to write the best thing to know that they'll make more money the better the thing they write is not only that, but you know, a lot of these shows that we love that writers put a lot of hard work into, they just get removed. Uh, Netflix famously, you know, doesn't let anyone into their uh, uh, their models for what's considered a success. They don't provide that data to the creators. They don't provide that data to anyone who's had a hand in the show. So um, it's been the case that. You know, you have a favorite show and it's gotten one or two seasons and then all of a sudden it gets canceled. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I I think if there is one takeaway from all this, um, it's that, you know, think about the people who make your favorite stuff, your favorite movies, your favorite TV shows. There's a lot of people behind the scenes um, more than more than you can think of. I mean, every time you see those credits and you hit skip credits like that that is a whole team of people who are working on your favorite stuff. So to that end, Michael, that's really good. If you don't mind me transitioning, Mm. um, people might be wondering, well, what do we do? Like, what can we do? Um, And so we've set up a Patreon uh, or a GoFundMe for Chris Evans, 
especially because he needs the money more than anybody. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know what? That Chris Evans fan is going to find us again. He's not. He's not going to be happy. He's going to be like, "How dare you?" <laughs> um, no, but seriously, um, in terms of like what we can do, you might think that boycotting, that stopping watching Netflix, like cancel your Netflix and and all of that, is intuitively the right thing to do. It's actually not. Um, actors, uh, writers, directors—they're telling us go see their work. Go watch the thing on Netflix. Go see Barbie. Go see Oppenheimer. Go see The Sound of Freedom. <laughs> don't don't go see The Sound of Freedom. Um, I was like, but, oh, slip that one in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but create a demand. Create a demand for these works because at a certain point they're not going to have a supply anymore right you're they're putting you're putting pressure on these companies to have a supply that they they just can't meet at a certain point so don't feel like you have to if you want to change your viewing habits watch more tv don't go outside don't read a book watch a television show on netflix instead yeah don't don't enrich your mind are you i mean are you crazy you can enrich your mind on netflix don't enrich your mind through literature <laughs> like and if you netflix and chill don't pause it like let it play let it play all the way through yeah do people still netflix and chill is that a thing that is i'm sure that's still a thing okay like it I... still means like you're not actually watching netflix right I don't, I don't okay anyway sorry we can save that for uh boomer uh boomer corner well oh jesus christ um <laughs> but yeah good points made by ryan oh. initially initially um not so much boomer, now, but... boomer corner i i just <laughs> just thought i did there <laughs> um but yeah it, it the neither neither union has called for a boycott so you can still watch your favorite shows go to the theater um, you know, it's otherwise yeah. business as normal. If you do want to, you know, send a couple bucks, um, we will link to a strike fund or a, whatever strike funds we can find in the episode description. Um, if you're in the LA area, if you're in the New York area, wherever uh, these folks are striking, you can join them as well. Um, but otherwise, yeah, continue to watch their their projects and um, give them your support. What a somber opening to this podcast. It's 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 kind of like you dropped a bomb in the middle of this. Did someone say bomb? <laughs> um, I knew what I was doing there, Michael. I'm not like I'm not an amateur, all right? I've been doing this for almost 4 months now, 3 months. <laughs> like how long? <laughs> Damn, you got some skin in the game, man. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about Barmenheimer. I, I can't believe that we've waited this long. Barbenheimer, which is of course a combination of Barbie and Oppenheimer, two movies that could not be more polar opposite. But honestly, after watching both of them, I think they have a lot in common. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess they do, but but not really. Let's let's be honest. Like, I mean, you might have to think about it a little bit. There, but... There's a central line in there, I guess the the existential nature, I suppose. But but yeah, let's yeah, all right, let's do it. But anyways, Oppenheimer, of course, is the new Christopher Nolan movie about the uh, physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer. We still don't know what the J stands for, um, but he is the father of the atomic bomb. And then in the other corner, we have 
Greta Gerwig's Barbie, which is about um, the the doll Bob Barbie <laughs> yeah, from Mattel. Yeah, one hundred percent. So this was an idea that was that was given to me uh, by my lovely partner Justine, who I'm giving credit to for this idea. Okay. She said, every time we watch new movies, like we do these premiere episodes, okay, we should each describe the movie in one word All at right. the same time. So okay. I think first up, we'll do Oppenheimer. Okay. So I have a spoiler. Hmm? My word is the same word for both movies. Really? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. We good? All right. Well, yeah. Yeah. So I'll count us in. Three. Okay. Two, one, brutalism. Access. Okay, all right. I like I like your word. Um, <laughs> what was your word? I said brutalism. What what movie were we doing? Oppenheimer. Oh, okay. I was like yeah. Barbie. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Barbie, brutal, brutalist ma- uh, masterpiece. <laughs> um, no, Oppenheimer felt very brutalistic to me, and. and like just in the sense that like it's very minimalistic um it's raw is it hell. minimalistic it is in some ways yeah i think so i mean in yeah sure way? i think like even though we have this huge cast and we have this like pretty like sprawling story mm-hmm. we we're with oppenheimer for the majority of it like it is mostly him from his point of view and i know that there are scenes that are objective but we're mostly like focusing on him and his story and in that sense it's a little bit minimalistic okay okay sure the perspective is minimalistic that is the only thing that feels minimalistic i'm not saying in in terms of i mean there are some like honestly christopher nolan's movies do have a lot of like brutalism like in terms of the aesthetic but I'm not referring to the aesthetic in this case. I'm okay. just saying it's like a raw movie. It's minimalistic. Okay. It doesn't try and dress things up. It's not like it's not pretty to look oh, at. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. I think I understand there. Yeah. Because I, I so the reason I use the word access is yeah. is he he does a lot in this movie. Um, there's a lot going on. Absolutely. Um, whether it's the editing style, which is access in in I think a good way. I thought mm-hmm. the editing of this movie is incredible. Yeah. Um, but but even in the visuals, even in even in y- overusing close-ups, mm-hmm. um, this is a movie <laughs> that I saw on IMAX and kind of felt a little stupid for doing that. <laughs> Like I was like, why? Interesting. Why did you make me see this, Mister Mister Nolan? Please, Mister Nolan, stop! I can't take anymore. But but like, why <laughs> did I like? Why did I pay six dollars extra? Like, for what? For a close up of Cillian Murphy's face? <laughs> I forget. Where, I forget where I saw this, but the special effect. Like, did, did you the, see that? I was gonna say the the marketing for this movie. This is not my my uh, quote. This is from someone else. Okay. Marketing for this movie is just close up photos of Cillian Murphy just looking as effed up as possible. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much this movie is just close ups of him looking as effed up as possible. Uh, yeah, like that's that's the special effect. Is like you get to see his blue eyes in like seventeen feet. Like you know, that's how big yeah. they are on the screen. Yeah. 
but yeah, I, I, um, I don't know why I saw it in IMAX. <laughs> I, I feel, <laughs> I feel stupid. I'm not gonna lie, man. <laughs> I was kind of like, I don't know how much of this is gonna be like yeah. IMAX worthy. One, one minute, one minute. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we we will get to Oppenheimer in sure, just a second, yes. but yeah. uh, we do have to describe the Barbie movie. So you've already given your word. I've already given my word. Which is excess. Yes. My word to describe the movie is surprising. Interesting. Yeah. You were surprised about Barbie? In a lot of ways. Oh, interesting. It did. I don't want to get too much into it because okay. we, we will we'll have talk a, about it. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. section dedicated to sure. Barbie. But it sure. did a lot that I wasn't I wasn't expecting it to. Sure. In a good I, way. I, in a good I, way. You're saying like it had a plot. Right. Like, cause th- that is the part where I was like, holy shit. Like I actually kind of like the, like the plot of this movie. I didn't expect uh, yeah. this movie to have a plot. I think, I think the plot definitely had something to do with it, but I mean, there's just so many aspects of it that pleasantly surprised me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, another thing to note is we, um, we did reverse viewing orders for these movies. So we did. Yes. It's been a lot of discussion. What is the best way to watch these movies? Do you do Barbie first? Do you do Oppenheimer first? Um, and I did Oppenheimer first and then Barbie. And what did you do, Ryan? I did Barbie first, like a like a noon matinee. And then I did Oppenheimer at six. So I think we can both agree that the best way to watch this no, movie. I will not. No. It's to start with the sound of freedom. <laughs> <laughs> See, sneak in a 9 a.m. sound of freedom. Uh, oh, yeah. A little little freedom. A little freedom a, a in my stars car. and strollers showing of, of sound of freedom. <laughs> yeah, at, emphasis like... on the stars. Eh? <laughs> a little patriotism, <laughs> patriotism in your, your morning. Um, okay, before we get into this debate, let me just explain to you and our listeners, this is, this is my day. This is how, and this is why I think this is the right order. All right? Mm, interesting. Friday morning. Taking the day off of work, I wake up. I say, "Hi, Barbie," and I. Oh no, I'm not gonna. Um, I go out for a breakfast at 10:30 in the morning. I wake up like at eight or nine. I have lots of time to get ready. You know, like the day's not rushed. 10:30 in the morning, you go to this beautiful French restaurant owned by an Australian woman. Um, so it was like Australian uh, checks French out. fusion. Checks uh, out. I mean, it's all colonialism anyway. It's fine. Um, and it was it was fantastic. We had grapefruit mimosas. Uh, my partner got a crepe. I got a uh, a toasty, which is a Australian sandwich. It was delicious. We like had a nice, easy breakfast. Uh, about twelve o'clock, we head over to the theater. We see Barbie, and we laugh our asses off for two hours. And honestly. Like I could have died at that moment, and I would have been like, "This is great." But I then you wouldn't have gone to see Oppenheimer. Well, that that's fair, but like my point is, I was just like floating on the cloud for the rest of the day until I had to go see Oppenheimer. My whole day was was just elevated because I saw Barbie first. It was like taking a happy pill that's not bad for you. Okay, but then. Then what well, then, happened? Then next? I saw. Then I saw Oppenheimer at six o'clock. The movie ended, and I was. I, I will. I will admit that I said <laughs> that sucked to my partner. <laughs> that is. That's how. That was. That was literally how I ended the movie. Now, 
my opinion has 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 formed some nuance since then <laughs> um and then i went to bed like i just went to bed at the end of oppenheimer and that's yeah. fine i got to sleep it yeah. was okay i would not have been able to go to bed and and my partner made this comment too if i had come back from Oppen or from barbie at nine o'clock i would not have been able to sleep for at least like two or three more hours with Why? like the joy and 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 happiness just flowing through my brain well from someone who did the opposite order okay i think that i actually had it correct because we started <laughs> our day with oppenheimer at what time um which was three o'clock this is the earliest showing we could get okay um oppenheimer is a long fucking movie it's, it is yeah i agree with you it's a it's, long movie it is it's a marathon man. now what time like, did you wake up michael hmm? what time I was did you up, wake up in the morning I was up by not to shame you. I just want to know. Oh, I I, I was up early on Saturday because I had shit to do in the morning. So I was up okay. by at least eight o'clock. Okay. So you're yeah. up at eight in the morning. I just want our, yeah. our listeners to track this. Okay. So you're up yeah. at eight in the morning. Yep. We we did our thing. We had a couple of errands run. Yeah. Uh, got breakfast and everything. Went to Oppenheimer. Yep. Um, which, you know, I, I didn't say that it sucked, but I mean I definitely didn't walk out of it like, oh, wow, I'm so hopeful. <laughs> no, of course not. I mean, you know, but you knew that. Great, great outlook for the future. Um, and then we we had to go home to tend to our dog. But then we yeah. went out to dinner. We went to uh, Electric Diner, you know, Electric Diner. Yeah. yeah. Um, we had cocktails, you know, espresso martini. We Yeah, no, that's that's good. You know, we got our, we got a little loosey-goosey for, for Barbie got in there happiness washing over me absolutely and yeah i went home and and like i had no problem getting to bed but what time did you go to bed michael i was in bed by i mean like this for this is where we differ because i'm a little bit of a night owl but i was in bed by i think midnight that night okay and the, oh, this is like a nine o'clock showing like you went to bed like uh, what time what time was your barbie movie Oh, it was 10. So I, I went to bed like pretty soon after. Actually. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so you went home and you went to bed pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't get to live like, like, it's like, it's like you took, you took a happy pill mm -hmm. and then instead of enjoying the effects of the happy pill, you went to bed. That's like smoking weed and they go to bed. Like, look what which happens sometimes, which is a perfectly normal <laughs> response to weed. Anyways, I woke up. I woke up in the morning and I was still elated off of Barbie. See, okay, that's 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 probably the correct like like I accept that that you got like a morning high from Barbie the night before because I got like the Oppenheimer regret. You got the hangover, dude. You know what I actually almost did on uh to uh, yesterday? I almost went to see Oppenheimer at noon. So so on Saturday, I almost went to see the 12 o'clock showing of Oppenheimer yesterday because I wanted to sort of I wanted to watch it again without expectation um, right and we'll talk about it I guess in a second are we going to talk yeah. about Oppenheimer first can we like transition into that well I, I did want to talk about our theater experiences oh, okay. if you had any okay. like interesting experiences at your theater I know for us it was a really another reason why this was like such a great day overall was because a lot of people were doing the same thing. They were seeing either both movies in one day or they'd seen one movie the previous night and then they were seeing uh, the next movie the next day. Um, so it, it was a, it was a very communal experience. 
people were dressed up for Barbie. Yo, yeah, we had yeah, a you, wave you of knew, pink. You knew, like, yeah. like walking into. So we saw it at a Cineplex. Walking in, I you could point. You'd be like, they're seeing Barbie. They're mm. seeing Barbie. They're seeing Barbie. You didn't really know who was seeing Oppenheimer. Although you could, will, you could tell you could tell who was seeing Oppenheimer. Well, trust me. <laughs> so so what I'll say about this, and I actually kind of disagree in terms of the communal. Like it was fun talking to people to find out that they they had seen both, but I I kind of felt like it was a very gendered split. Like our showing of Barbie was eighty percent women, and our showing of Oppenheimer was probably 80 percent men. Really. Like, like that's that is that is what I found. There were some men in our Barbie, like all the men in our Barbie show were with women, mm-hmm. um, and and with I didn't see a whole lot of women in our Oppenheimer show. Um, it, it wasn't the same for us, so we didn't go to a Cineplex. We went to a Landmark. Um, that's where I saw Barbie. I saw Barbie at a Landmark. Okay. Um, Oppenheimer. I mean, like I'd say. Definitely more men at Oppenheimer, but just but there was a lot of, there was a lot of women there too. But I, I wouldn't say that they were there on their own. They were probably with like their partner. Sure. sure. Uh, whereas the Barbie movie, you had a lot of groups of women who would come to watch it with their friends, um, and then you had a lot of guys who were there with their partner, Fair. myself included, right? One thing I'll say about Oppenheimer, though, and and my theater experience with that, because you saw both years at a landmark, and mm-hmm. and landmark doesn't really you don't grasp the same sort of fullness of the theater at landmark because they have the fancy chairs, so they're very very, um, you know, like like a packed house even at the biggest theater in landmark is like 150 people max, I think, right? I don't know what the numbers are, but it's not a lot. Yeah, no, we saw this in the IMAX theater, and it was so cool to see a full buzzing theater and i cannot remember the last time maybe endgame but i didn't see endgame uh at an imax i honestly can't remember the last time i'd been in a theater with the buzz and energy of a movie the way that oppenheimer was friday night Mm -hmm. um it was so cool and i felt like i was actually seeing something important Uh, yeah that that's kind of what i wanted to get at here with this whole theater experience thing is like it felt important it felt monumental because I can't remember either the last time that I went to the theater and like everyone was just excited, you know, everyone yeah. was yeah. was putting in effort, you know, to see these movies or like to dress up for these movies. Uh, it wasn't like, you know, a Marvel movie drops and everyone's like, oh, yeah, you know, I guess I'll see it. So I understand the next one. Right. Yeah. Like people were invested in these movies, which was really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. It was it was great. I'm I'm so happy I got to participate. It was awesome. And then you talk to people about it and they're like, oh yeah, you did the Barbenheimer thing. That's weird. Like (laughs) (laughs) you're crazy. (laughs) Well, and the thing, the thing that really bothers me is is that people, I mean, Barbie is gonna kill at the box office. It's clear. It already has. yeah, Yeah, like it's it's gonna destroy. I'm Tracking was anywhere between 100 and 180 and 180 million. I think it's going to be much closer to 180 million than it. It's it's already the the highest grossing movie by a female director. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, opening weekend. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Opening weekend. Sorry, it passed uh, Wonder Woman. So um, Um, I forgot her name, but she had the record before. Oh, sure. Um, Patty Jenkins. Yes. Yeah. Respect to Patty Jenkins' name, please. (laughs) <laughs> um anyway um 
I, I but I, I did get like I did get a lot of comments from men exclusively men it's like oh you saw Barbie like oh that's weird like as if as if Barbie has to be from for women um and that's disappointing Barbie is not a movie for women there's a very very important you know like like Barbie is hilarious and you get to learn things for men you get to learn about the patriarchy and that's <laughs> that's really important <laughs> i can't wait to get into that discussion but oh no i yes so i i have to say i'm a little bit biased i did order put in order our our agenda for today's episode in the order that i saw these movies so we no, will start fair. off with oppenheimer um i'm okay just, with that. i'm just gonna make it clear right now i don't think we're gonna be able to hold back at all uh this is gonna be a spoiler filled talk so from here on out if you don't want spoilers, uh, turn this off or skip to uh, the non-spoiler part. Just check the uh, episode notes or details. We'll let you know the timestamp that you can listen to for non-spoiler talk. But from here on out, we will be talking about everything that happens in these movies. Um, Great. So Great. yeah, spoiler alert. Oppenheimer created the atomic bomb. I bet you didn't know that. Did, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I know it feels weird to like like say spoiler alert for the movie Oppenheimer. It's like right? uh it's it's about the creation of the atomic bomb. You're yeah, you're gonna be fine. Yeah, you're yeah. gonna be okay. So Oppenheimer, I mean yes. right off the bat, um how did you feel about this movie? So I had a very visceral response as as I as I alluded to. I I left the movie upset. I left the movie upset. I I I disliked a lot of that ending. It as was so I think funny. About it, I'm not I... to interrupt you, but it was so funny when we walked out of Oppenheimer. I purposely didn't check Letterboxd all day, but we walked out of Oppenheimer. And I was like, I got to see what Ryan said. About it. <laughs> so and I almost you didn't even leave a review. I was like, oh, he hated this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, have I not put a review in yet? Or uh, last I... I last I checked, you have not put a review. So I was like. Man, he oh, oh you know what? Like I don't know. I haven't written a review yet. Okay. Didn't even so, dignify it with some words. <laughs> well, I was gonna do a joke review. Yeah. So I was gonna my joke review would have been um medium teenager. Um, can you explain that one? So the two bombs that were dropped are little boy and fat man. Medium teenager is 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 like the movie was mid. It would have been my. The movie wasn't as mid as I needed it to be for that joke to work, but that is the joke. I think that's a good don't, joke. And the fact don't that do he... don't do letterbox <laughs> joke reviews, please, please spare I me. I think medium that. teenager is fun. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's better than yours. Um, is it? <laughs> yes, yes. No low hanging fruit. Anyway, um, Oppenheimer is a fantastic movie. For two hours. And then it falls off a fucking cliff for me. Now, I want to watch the movie again to see if now that I know like how this movie is going to change, if I will accept that change a little bit more. But the way that that movie pivots from like a really brisk, fast moving, um, uh, like, like biopic, but also like integrating the future timeline which i actually thought was ingenious using the black and white perspective of um uh robert downey's character uh, lewis lewis strauss 
Well, um, I, I actually think I think the black and white perspective was just supposed to be objective, the objective no, timeline, right? No, no, it's it's Lewis's timeline because it's only ever Lewis. It's Lewis's story. From what I've seen online, people have been calling it like the objective timeline. So I don't know. I'm not I'm well, not saying I disagree. Whatever, with you or whatever, like it's the Lewis is in all of those though, right? Like everything that happens is from Lewis's perspective. Mm-hmm. Because they literally they literally show you like the conversation with um uh Einstein at the beginning from yeah, Strauss's yeah. perspective. He doesn't get to hear what's said, and then the movie ends in that moment, but in color because now it's Oppenheimer's perspective. So whatever they're calling it, fine. I, I, you know, I, I don't care, but I think it was a really clever way to make this movie feel important the whole way through, because otherwise you're going to be sitting there for two hours being like, okay, drop the bomb already because we know that this, this is where this story is going. But instead the quickness and the bouncing back and forth knowing where this is going to end is much more entertaining i thought it was fantastic for those two hours and when that bomb gets dropped mm-hmm. i was as worried and anxious as everybody else mm-hmm. like i had no idea what this was going to look like i i didn't know what it was going to sound like i was afraid for my soul like for for you're, my you're talking about the bomb uh, like the trinity specifically the, the trinity bomb like the yeah, trinity yeah. test because yeah. we don't get to see little man or little boy and fat man we don't get to see the, the bombing of hiroshima and nagasaki which i think is a really smart choice this movie is not about world war ii it's not about the war it's about oppenheimer no it's about absolutely scientists. i i think if they showed uh the other two bombings it would have lessen the impact of 100 the one bomb scene that we did yeah. get this is about developing the bomb and and it makes tons of sense and they say it multiple times in the script um you know we we're giving them this weapon we're we're, we're developing it now our job is done that's the climax of the story not the the war not the dropping of the bomb like it's we have a bomb that works we did our job here you go i loved all of that once that bomb drops the movie kind of flatlines for me because we lose the best part, the best timeline. The best timeline of the movie is the the 1937 or like pre-war into the war, like all of this developing. And then when it just gets to this, to, to the boardroom scene where they're interrogating Oppenheimer and anyone connected to him in the kangaroo court, and we get way more of the Robert Downey Jr. Um, storyline, about which turns into a revenge story, which totally changes the narrative of this whole thing. It got convoluted and it felt like I was watching like, like B tier Aaron Sorkin or something like this is not what Nolan is good at. Nolan is not good at writing a courtroom thriller courtroom drama script. He's good at spectacle. He's good at, you know, propulsive narrative. And then the narrative just, stopped and like that last hour was fucking boring as shit for me so that's very interesting because i completely disagree (laughs) fantastic yeah buckle up folks we got a good episode in the works um so i didn't i didn't i think i think from what i'm hearing you say and like from your letterbox review you know as a complete product like this movie may not have 
hit all of the the marks that it should have for you. I I will say that like I like the movie, but I'll also say that it is nowhere near my favorite from Nolan. Um, yeah, I, I don't even think it, I would put it in the top five. I now, I I agree with you. It's not in my top five. Now I think where we disagree the most is like when this movie started. Um, I found it like very disorienting, and I I think that's maybe part of what Nolan was going for. But I found it to be a lot in the beginning. I think like to steal your word, it was a lot of excess. You know, yeah. we have a huge cast. Um, we've got a lot of different things being said and plot lines. And by the way, I don't know what it is with Christopher Nolan movies. I can't hear a damn thing that's going on in these movies. Yeah, I, I so so that wasn't an IMAX thing. Yeah, you had that problem too. Yeah, I was like, man, I'm like struggling to hear. I gotta. I was about to walk out and ask for a closed captioning device. Honestly, I don't like. I don't know if you're joking or not, but like, yeah, I, I. No, I'm being dead serious. I couldn't hear shit in this movie. I, I know. I, I think I, I think I want to watch this again with closed caption because, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I found the first half to be, you know, very like disorienting. I, I, it was hard for me to get into it at first. Then the bomb scene happens. Whoa, and... whoa, 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 whoa! So, so mm-hmm. you're two hours into the movie and you're like, whoa. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get into this movie. Yeah, no, I'm being dead. I'm dead. Okay. Serious. Okay. Like, I, I you... was kind of like in out, uh, you know, I mean, I will say the thing that kept me in the whole time is Cillian Murphy. Okay. Fucking killed it as Oppenheimer. He carries this movie, put the whole team on his back. He's fantastic to watch in this role, but I wasn't quite sure if I liked this movie until I got to that bomb scene. Okay. And then the bomb scene happens. It, which is amazing. Amazing. Yeah, amazing choice by Nolan. I mean, it, it seems kind of silly to mention in retrospect, but amazing choice by by Nolan to not even have sound at first. But yeah. to just be breathing. Mm-hmm. And like you're watching all of these different reactions to the bomb. Like my jaw dropped. And then yeah. when we actually do get like the bomb sound, it's almost like a jump scare. Like it, yeah, except you know it's coming. You know it's coming, but like yeah, still it's like it. It was it was fantastic. I really liked that part. Now the the boardroom stuff that was actually the part that made me like this movie a little bit more. I liked the the reveal of Robert Downey Jr. Jr.'s character as like basically kind of the villain. Um, and I think like the fact that we didn't have all of these different characters in the mix now, now that the movie has kind of shrunk its perspective a little bit for me, it was a much more enjoyable experience. That being said, the movie is still not without its issues for sure. I'm I'm just a little confused then about your letterbox rating on this movie, because like, no, that's, that's, you you didn't like two thirds of this movie. But that that one hour, that's what made me go like, okay, I want to rewatch this movie now with everything that I know now. Yeah, and, and I'm like, in the same position that tie, as you. That tied it in for me. Because I don't think, I, I'm not willing to give it like a three and a half stars because that to me, on my own personal rating scale, that means that like I thought it was mid or medium teenager as you would put it. Three but, and a half out of five is not mid. 
It's seventy percent. Your your review was literally about to be medium teenager, no, and you're I know, give it a and, three and a half, three and no, a half no, stars. No, no, but that's my point. I didn't give it medium teenager because but I was like, were, this is not a two and a half star movie. It's a three that's not the reason star. you didn't do it. That's not the reason you didn't write medium teenager. You fucking liar. I'm just saying, like, like, what are we doing if you didn't like two thirds of this movie and it gets one less star? I think than you're Marty. misunderstanding, Ryan. I didn't say that. I I hated the first two hours i'm not i'm not like i'm not like how you reacted to the last hour i still there's still things i liked in the first two hours but i just i'm just saying i found it a little bit hard to get into but that last hour made me like this movie so much more and i don't think there's anything wrong with that i mean that's fair i i get that and i'm in the same reverse boat as you where i loved the first two hours and then the last part just left me so I just feel that the last hour is so strong that it elevates that initial two hours of confusion for me. Plus, you got the bomb scene in there. Well, sure. And I mean, you and I both have the bomb scene as 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 our markers. Yeah, I Um, and like I said, I think the RDJ reveal I, I talked about Cillian Murphy's performance, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance equally is great. I hope this guy gets a best supporting actor nom. I, I have a feeling you you disagree. Well, okay, and I don't know if this is fair. I don't know if this is fair to Robert Downey Jr. But it's so hard now to disconnect him from Tony Stark. It's so hard not to see elements of Tony Stark in everything he does. And I don't know if that's fair. I don't know if that's fair to Robert Downey Jr. or not. But it becomes a little difficult to say, okay, this guy disappeared in his role. I, I don't know if that's true. And, and, you know, on a rewatch, I'll pay way more attention to him, knowing how focused this movie is on him. That, like, it, it does not, this movie gives you no hint that this is this is the storyline that it really is going to be about. And I think that's why it's so good. It's like he played it in a way where, like, you didn't even realize that he is the villain until the end you know sure but i think that's just editing i don't think that's performance i think i I, I I you gotta give credit where credit is due of course it's a little bit of performance he plays the role of like the guy who simultaneously admires and loathes this man so well i mean okay i don't know if i quite agree with that but uh i don't get i don't get the admire part for sure I don't I don't think I don't think there's a moment where I feel like he admires Cillian Murphy. I think or, so. Yeah. When he first, I mean, in the in the first half, when he shows up at his institute thing or whatever, you know, he's pretty enamored with him. Doesn't doesn't he literally lift unless I'm confusing this with another movie? Doesn't he list off like the multiple people that he tried to contact first? I don't know. Or am I, am I like getting confused? I've been watching a lot of stuff. <laughs> But um, I, I I could be wrong. Maybe I need to rewatch it. But I I briefly remember that their opening sort of dialogue between each other is him listing the two people or three people that he already sort of talked to, and that they said no to the I, position. But but I again could be wrong. No, I could be wrong as well. I I don't remember um, any of that happening. He he feels like a collector, right? Like he feels like. Um, I mean, the best example, well, it's not a good example for you because you haven't seen it, but um, 
uh, Aaron Burr in, in the Hamilton musical, his whole shtick is that he wants to be near power. He sings a song called The Room Where It Happens. He wants to be in the room where things happen. Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of what his character... Sorry? Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm agreeing with you because... Yeah, and yeah, that's, what, I think, that's what he feels like, right? I think he just he wants even, to be in the room. He even says something to that effect uh, when he realizes, like, oh, he's kind of being backstabbed here. He's like... Or, or he says something about like uh, where the real decisions are made. Yes, yes. something about political power. It, all this being, I'm not, I'm not trashing Robert Downey Jr. I'm just saying I, I can, like, I just, I kind of feel like where he's pulling like Tony Starkisms, and it's, it's a little distracting, and it's not his fault. It's, it's just the same way that Robert Pattinson Jr. had to do so much work. Robert to Pattinson shake, Jr. Bro, bro, <laughs> What is his name? Oh, well, it's not, Robert Pattinson, but he's, he's not, not a junior. junior. No, Robert Pattinson had to, um, you know, he had to do so much work to shake off Edward. And honestly, for a lot of people, yeah. he's still Edward. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's a valid, um, you know, thing to to note. I personally didn't have that issue, um, but I could see how people could find it difficult to disconnect him from Tony Stark. Also, because, you know, Robert Downey Jr. in real life, he's pretty much Tony Stark. That's a lot of him that's in that character, right? Yeah, I guess I guess that's fair. Um, I accept that. Yeah. But can we talk about Florence Pugh? <laughs> what do you want to say about Florence Pugh? <laughs> Florence Pugh has nice boobies. <laughs> Friend of the show, Florence Pugh. Oh my god. Like Christopher Nolan is so creepy. Like, why? It was Why? kind of no. odd that like this this is what earned this movie an R rating because it, it wasn't like it had a bunch of gore. It was, <laughs> they weren't dropping the f bomb everywhere. It's like what what about this scene? Well, three scenes. There are three scenes. Yeah. Well, what about like that aspect to her character, to her interactions with Oppenheimer? Did he like? W- w- just why <laughs> exactly exactly I'm not, I'm not making like a judgment call on it either way like positive or negative but i that's one of the things that i i don't really get where he was going with that so like i i have so many issues like christopher nolan does things th- that are just so obvious and it's so upsetting like when he when he inner like when when he puts Florence Pugh in the boardroom having sex on top of Oppenheimer while the wife is in the background that was so heavy-handed like she would that that actor that actor um who played his wife um Emily Blunt Emily Blunt is already doing that for us her face is already telling us and showing us exactly what's happening without Oppenheimer or without sorry Christopher Nolan literally putting Florence Pugh's naked body on top of Cillian Murphy we we understood what was happening my best guess is that Christopher Nolan himself knew that like these boardroom scenes are probably not as engaging as he would like them to be if so he just threw that in there like are we are we doing sex position in a fucking nolan movie now like is that what we're doing that's the only conclusion i can come to and so, then obviously the the like they're naked they're literally both naked sitting on a chair so talking to each other i said that i i have a funny story about that so towards like this point in the movie like i was getting i'll, I'll admit i was getting a little bit 
tired right okay you know you know when you get those like your eyelids get a little bit heavy you you shut your eyes for like a microsecond (laughs) wake yourself up so during that scene i noticed that like the camera is like panning over and like my my eyes close for like a second and when i open them again cillian murphy's naked (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and i I, for a second i was like whoa what what the fuck happened here Wait a minute! You gave this movie four stars, and you fell asleep. I didn't fall you asleep. You closed your eyes. Oh uh, yeah, I, I did. I blinked. For, oh, I blinked for you like a second no, longer you didn't than blink. I should. You didn't blink. <laughs> That's not blinking, Michael. Oh, yeah, but you man. know what? I was awake for the entire last hour of this movie. Well, that's fair. You, you should have been my TA in uh, in university. Such a such an easy marker you are. Um, <laughs> Listen, I think overall, though, like this is a very like technically impressive movie from Noel. Sure, yeah. As I mentioned, like when I when I talked about it first, like I fucking love the editing in this movie. The see, this is kind of where the editing and the um and and the score was incredible. Sure, I love love the music, and and that's where my word excess comes in. Like he uses that score. I would argue, maybe. I mean, this is a signature, I guess, of Nolan movies. But oh, he uses that score mm-hmm. as much as he can, like um, mostly to good effect. But sometimes I think it's excessive, like in a bad way, not in a good way. Yeah, I'm surprised, and and I I guess you know, knowing you a little bit, Michael, I'm I guess I'm not overly surprised because there, you and I grasp onto different things of movie making i'm surprised that first two hours wasn't more engaging for you because i think nolan did a great job of making the boring parts of this movie exciting um i will the first... say there are there are moments in the first half that i do really like i i want to give a special shout out to that um they have a literal like superhero suiting up scene for Oppenheimer in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's putting on his like his hat, he's yeah, his yeah, pipe. Yeah. I was like, what? What are he, we doing? Guys? He's like, you got it. Just be you. Dress like yourself. And he gets his like fedora. <laughs> yes. His his pipe. Yeah, because he's wearing. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. That, is that half? Like, what part of the movie? I mean, that's at least halfway through at this point because they're in they're in Los Los Almos or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yes, um, I, I I just like the the pace of this movie is so frenetic for the first two hours. Um, because we're cutting. What, I think that's what threw me off. Oh, see, and I, and I like that. And once it slowed down, and we were just in the same room for like five minutes at a time, I was like, oh, like when when Robert Downey Jr. is sitting on the couch talking to to his aides and just explaining like like the be just expositioning us in a movie when like literally the thing that we care about has already happened i was just ah like guys it's over (laughs) like i so we dropped the bomb i'll also say i am also surprised that you didn't like the second half of this movie um just because i feel like the second half is nolan at his best where he uses his editing style. He uses everything that he showed you in, in the first half of the movie. He uses his non-linear storytelling to give you this almost, and I'm, I won't use the word in the fullest because I feel like that might upset you a little bit. Don't say almost like masterful like reveal 
of a Robert Downey Jr.'s character as the true villain. But it, it's it no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Who the fuck why doesn't it cared? matter? I don't care about Robert. That's the that's sort of the problem for me. It's like that whole reveal is like, oh, he's the one who screwed Oppenheimer. I don't fucking care. But I think it added a very interesting layer to Oppenheimer's character, which is really what I was thinking about the most after this movie ended, which is, you know, why didn't Oppenheimer fight back? You know, why did he take his lashings? Is it because he is super self-interested and there are things in the movie to point you towards that? Or is it because he knew that he will be exonerated in the future? Or he feels like he deserved it. Like, like he feels right. And, but that's, I don't think you would have gotten that without this whole Robert Downey Jr. uh, Like the Strauss character. See, I disagree with that. As long, as long as this kangaroo court is happening, I don't care who put it together. Like I'm invested in how he feels about all of this. Like, and I like the kangaroo court. What I like about the movie though and especially the first two hours, is that they still give us this kangaroo court. It's not like we're introduced into it two hours in. We get this throughout the entire movie. So the only thing that changes in the third half, in that last hour, is that's all we get. Like, it's like, sorry, there's no more here. Yeah, but in the last half, unless I'm mistaken, you get a little bit more context as to who the players in the room are. Like, you get to know who, um, I think his name is Jason Clark's character is. you get you get to know his, who his lawyer is a little bit. You know? I know, but but that's not like this. this and movie plus, is called Jay. And plus, it gave it gave Emily Blunt her time to shine, which is like I think the first time a woman has gotten any time to shine in a Nolan movie. Sure, she just had to wait two hours and thirty minutes. But yes, Emily Blunt has a great great scene. We'll get like a supporting actress nomination, and we'll lose. Um, but it's just. The movie did such a good job of setting something up, framing something so well in the perspective of Oppenheimer, and then completely sort of answered questions. I or yeah, answered questions that I didn't ask. I, I'll ask you this. I'll ask yes, you this. Yeah, I, I, I want to see it again. I and I'm happy to to come back and apologize. But anyway. I'll ask you this. So that last scene where we find out what was said between uh, <laughs> yes. Oppie and uh and Einstein. Yeah. Did you like that scene? I fucking hated that scene. That was so <laughs> fucking stupid. Yeah, it just okay. He, here's the thing, and and I'm uh... sorry to some of our listeners or whatever if you identify like this, but I, I guess like most, like there's a, like a common denominator that I think I guess Nolan is playing to. Nolan's fan base might not all people who watch Nolan movies are dumb. So so. <laughs> Oh, brother. This guy no, stinks. Like, uh, I just. By the way, he said that, not me. Nolan. Uh, the views Nolan... expressed on this show do not reflect <laughs> the views of both of the hosts. It just, like, Nolan makes literal what we obviously knew anyway. Like, he didn't need to say that. He didn't need to show us rockets. Like, we understand. We live in a world where Russia is at war with Ukraine right now. We understand that the world is on the precipice and that, like, yeah. And at some point, it's inevitable our world will be destroyed by people, not by nature, right? Well, Ryan, here's the thing, though. 
So I, I know that you would understand that, you know, if this movie didn't have those things, if you just chopped off the entire last half of this movie, which I would be honestly fine with because this movie is way too long as it is. <laughs> yeah, I, right? I, I but, would like the two hour but edit. The thing is, the thing is, what you have to realize, and this is something that we've always discussed in the creation of this show, is that you got to think about the regular people. You got to think about the normies. Okay. They're... There are people who go see these movies. This is like the first movie they've seen all year. They never watch movies and they literally need the message spoon fed to them sometimes. And that's okay. That's okay. In fact, the movie that we're about to discuss next does a lot of spoon feeding and that's okay. You know, not everything has to be subtle. it, It does. It does. You know, it's okay. It's okay. When you compare, okay, but is this are we are are, are we segueing? Can we segue? Because I have a segue. Well, I did want to ask. I, I I'm sorry to take away your amazing segue. Okay, I'm sorry. I wanted to ask, where does this rank for you in in Nolan's filmography? So, I had ten at five, and so off the board. So I like this movie better than Inception, but like I'm very low on Inception. Inception. I like it better than Dark Knight Rises. I probably like it better than The Prestige, Memento probably too. So yeah, this movie is probably six for me. Hmm. Did you did you see any um, any like relation between this movie and Dunkirk, which no. I know might be sacrilege because it's like your number one. So I me, watched. As someone oh. who is not super hot on Dunkirk, I yeah. saw a lot of this felt like very Dunkirk-ish to me. Interesting. Um, so I my goal, I had planned to rewatch Dunkirk yesterday, and I ended up doing something instead. Um, I watched the first 10 minutes of Dunkirk, and holy shit, that movie's fucking amazing. Like I that movie begins in such with such a frenetic pace. So that that is the thing that I I kind of realized. Like this is a fast filmmaker. Like Nolan does things fast, and 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 I like that. I love that about him. Um, it can work against him sometimes. I will say that for, for sure, for sure. Um, this the thing about Dunkirk though, and which is very different than Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer is a talky as shit movie. It's the talkiest movie he's ever released. Yeah. And the other really talky movie of his, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, is one of my least favorite of his movies, Inception. This reminded me of Inception a lot. A lot of exposition, a lot of explaining the importance and significance. Inception definitely has a lot of exposition. There's a lot of monologues in Inception. It's not as talky as this movie. No, no, this is his most talky movie. Nothing is as talky is this one it's not close but this that movie actually reminded me of inception which is hilarious that we both compared it to each other's number ones um that is the movie i thought about the most while i was watching this of the whole like okay let me explain to you the significance of this moment i didn't see um, any any connections to inception but i think all almost mostly all in of, the screenwriting in the writing honestly, that's how I felt. honestly Almost all of Nolan's movies have a lot of exposition in them. If we're being completely honest here, yeah, I I think Inception is like the one I think about the most. Like Tenet doesn't have as much as you think it does because it no, tells it doesn't. you it, it tells doesn't. you it doesn't matter. But Inception, I think he put a lot of exposition into it because he was like, well, I need to explain to people how this whole 
technology works. Yeah, and then he realized the rules of the game. He realized that was stupid again. Tenant. And again, well, it didn't really work out in Tenet now, did it? Because everyone's still confused. <laughs> well, maybe he should have people had more st- exposition. People are still confused about Inception. Nobody understands Inception. If you do, people, you're lying. People understand Inception a lot more than they yeah. understand Tenet. Not quite. They don't fully understand it, but I didn't walk out of the theater of Inception being like, I don't understand anything I just watched. <laughs> But um, before this podcast runs three hours, I want to ask one last question about Oppenheimer. Um, one of the things that we talked about, I don't know if it was on mic or off mic, is that Matt Damon felt like a weird choice to be in this movie. I'm glad you brought this up. Good. That's so, why that's why we podcast movie. together. Oh, sorry, did you have more to add? No, no. How well my question is, how did you feel about Matt Damon in this movie? So you will be pleasantly surprised. I liked Matt Damon in this movie. Me, famous Matt Damon hater, yeah. I liked him in this movie. So did I. <laughs> um, yeah, Matt Damon was fantastic. I would argue he was the second or third best actor in this film. Yeah, I'd put him at third behind RDJ Cillian Murphy and Cillian and Murphy. R- R- yeah, R- RDJ. I-, I probably have him slightly ahead of RDJ, but I, I do accept that I might be wrong there. Um but yeah, no, I thought he did great. I thought I thought he was like I last thing I'll say, I promise. I think the trailer did a terrible disservice to this movie. I think the trailer paints this movie in a very different light than it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um the trailer makes this movie seem very linear and it seems very traditional and standard biopic. This is not a standard biopic, and I love that it's not a standard biopic. So I know I know we need to talk about Barbie, but I have a question for you. This is okay. gonna be my last question. All right. Would you want to see Nolan do another biopic after y- this? Yes. Yes, I would. I agree. I think I I I liked a, the Nolan style biopic. I liked it. I loved it yeah. a lot. I mean, yeah, me too. I, I, I liked, yeah, I liked that it didn't feel normal. Like, take something boring, like take something that's overdone and let Nolan do it, mm-hmm. which is why like Batman worked. It's like, mm-hmm. we've done Batman a bajillion times. Go ahead. See what you can do with it. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So like, I don't know what's like, would I like to see a Nolan Western maybe? Uh, let's let's get a Nolan sports drama while we're at oh, it. Oh yes, yeah. I like it. Right, the 1992 Blue Jays do that. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I you know three and a half stars is probably gonna change for me. I'm probably gonna rank this higher when I rewatch it. I hope. Mm. Um, but the ending, the ending really, really left me mad. Fair. And you're the opposite. So we'll see, like, if we can if we can join our viewings together, this is a perfect movie. Yeah, yeah. Which leads us to talk about a perfect movie. Wow, great segue. Great segue. Ryan is, of course, referring to the Barbie movie. A perfect movie. That should be the subtitle. <laughs> the Barbie movie. A perfect movie. I don't know if I would say perfect, but it is a damn good movie. This was fucking hilarious. From the moment... I didn't realize the movie was going to start the way it started. I thought that was just a trailer. Oh, with, like, the, um, with the 2001 
Yeah, I didn't realize. I didn't realize. Like, I thought that was just a trailer to like hype the movie, and then we actually get the <laughs> two thousand one like giant Barbie while these kids yeah. are these cave children are playing with dolls and smashing them once they see the oh, Barbie. That was, that was great, fantastic. Um, uh, how the hell do we start here? Do we talk about I mean, Barbie Land first? We can we can start about our our initial reactions okay like, like or dislike i mean kind of silly i think we both liked it we, we fucking uh, love this movie we both gave it five stars on letterbox if you don't mind i would like to go first this time since you went All first right. on oppenheimer go go ahead so i really love this movie um i i gave the word surprising before as my one word to describe it because this movie surprised me in a lot of ways i think going into it and largely based on the trailers I thought that this movie was basically going to be like live action Lego movie with some funny jokes sprinkled in and like really great like set pieces and all that. But this movie really surprised me. I mean, first off, we don't even spend that much time in the real world. It's it's largely set in Barbie land. Yeah, yeah. Which was a great choice because Barbie land is amazing. I mean. Hats off to Greta Gerwig and the entire team. Um, yeah, they really brought Barbie Land to life. And mainly because, you know, there's not a huge use of CGI in this movie. It's a lot of real sets, but it feels like a real world. And I don't think we've had that in a very long time. You know, after watching like all these Marvel movies where everything is just CGI, it was a welcome treat to have something where you can tell there's a lot of thought and care put into it um yeah it was just fantastic and then i also use surprising for the story because like i said i thought this is just going to be a live action lego movie i thought will ferrell's ceo of mattel was going to be the bad guy turns out he's just kind of like he's kind of like a just a bumbling side character a little bit yeah not the bad guy the thing the thing that i like the most about this Barbie movie is how important the Kens were. And I know that's a weird thing to say about a movie about women. Um, but how, like how good can, um, uh, Oh my God, Ryan Gosling and, uh, Sim shit. What's his name? Simi Lou. Yeah. I don't want to say his name. Um, they're hilarious in this movie. And, the the first 15 minutes in barbie land where we get to see the actual politics between all of the different barbies and how kens are treated just ken um is awesome uh you know the the actual rivalry between ryan gosling and simi lu's kens um just works perfectly uh specifically they have this dance scene in the uh in one of the barbie dream houses and it's just it's fantastic to watch them go at each other and try to one-up the other um i i thought they were perfectly cast and obviously all the barbies are great um margaret robbie especially um give her her flowers for sure i like that the narrator at a certain point like makes a note on the casting of margot robbie um it's just yeah it was it was a lot of fun um I yeah I liked I liked this movie from beginning to end. Uh I will say though um not unlike Oppenheimer 
there was a moment where I was afraid I was losing this movie. And you mentioned it. When they go to the real world, I, I had a was, moment of panic. I think it was a smart move to not spend so much time in the real world. Because like I said, like this could have easily just been a fish out of water comedy. And it's so much more than that. And that was the worst. That was the worst part of the movie for me. Like that, the, the 25, 30 minutes we spend in the real world, I was, I was like, Ooh, I don't know. I don't know how much of this is working. And then as we slowly transition, transition that we're going back into Barbie land, it's like, Oh, thank God. Um, now we don't know what we're going to find in Barbie land and Holy shit. Do we find, um, something incredible <laughs> ken ken has has redesigned barbie land and honestly like as good as the first part of the movie was this is this is like where the movie really like kicks into overdrive this is the this is the nos energy tank of the movie um ken are, has introduced the patriarchy there are few perfect castings as there has been ryan gosling as ken um Every scene that Ryan Gosling is in, he's a scene stealer. And then, again, like you said, it is weird to say that in a movie about and for a woman. But, man, every, yeah. everything he said, everything he did was hilarious. He's really like he's a comedic powerhouse in this movie. Um, I think another really great thing about this movie is just how weird it was. It like and it wasn't afraid to be weird. It really leaned into its into its weirdness um and we got a lot of just great moments out of it like i said it's it surprised me in a lot of ways because this could have been just a straight up fish out of water story but instead we got just weird things happening that didn't quite make any sense it felt like we were in weird barbie's house for a long time and you know they they play around with the idea of like these are dolls right like and and all of the things that you how you would play with a doll like what you would expect when playing with a doll is is part of the joke right the beginning the beginning dream house sequence when barbie wakes up and goes takes her waterless shower and drinks her liquidless coffee or what you know like there's nothing you know these things aren't real. Their beach isn't real. They they can't swim in the ocean. The ocean Which is was plastic. Ben Shapiro's favorite part. I can just imagine him <laughs> clapping like a seal in the audience, <laughs> watching this. Well, oh. you you would um you'd be very disappointed. You should have watched the whole video, Michael, because you and Ben Shapiro do share an opinion. Um, you both love the production design, so uh, you know, good on you. I'm surprised that man knows what production design is. Well, so so he he complimented the movie by saying the production design is great, and then yeah. said, "But it's easy to do the production design because you have all these Barbie dream houses to work with." Oh so, fuck off! I know, right? So he's like, Come "Here's on, a compliment, dude. but you still shit." Like, but not really. Yeah, yeah no, that's great. No, it, it's it's just like a fantastic movie, and like the messaging. I mean. It sucks to have to do this in a movie where, like, you're sitting there and you're hearing, like, literally, like, Greta Gerwig kind of speak to the audience through, like, uh, America Ferreira's character. Yes. That great monologue that she gives. And I'm like, this is fantastic, but it just sucks that a lot of people are going to get caught up on, like, oh, this is just a movie that hates men or something. It's like a man-hating yeah. movie. 
it's so much more than that it's well, not yeah. i mean it's not even that at all but like it's it's a movie with a lot going for it and people are going to miss that because they're going to get hung up on like patriarchy yes yeah yeah, it, yeah I, I i know and and it really isn't a movie that hates men it's it's a movie that is concerned with with like how hard it is to be a woman and and you know where women's place in society actually is which doesn't take anything away from being a man there's actually a great a great message to men in this in this movie near the end where ken who has defined his entire person by his relation to barbie and barbie liking him and yada yada and in the end he realizes he can just be ken he can be his own person he he is kenoff yeah (laughs) that is i mean it's perfect so, I mean, if you are a guy and you're listening to this and you haven't seen Barbie and for some reason you're like, I'm going to listen to the spoiler filled talk of Barbie <laughs> on this podcast, go see Barbie. Honestly, go go with an open mind. I know I say this a lot, too, when we talk about spoilers, like we can't, we can't spoil this movie for you because this movie is this movie it's an is experience. about it, Yeah, it's about the it's about the music. It's about the the visuals. It's about the jokes. And like, you know, we said a couple of them, I guess, but like, it's all there and it's, yeah, it's, it's so much fun. It makes me sad that we're not going to talk about this movie as much as Oppenheimer, but I think the reason why is that there's not a lot to do to say about this movie, except that everything is awesome. Every, like, fucking everything is funny in this movie. And, uh. i think there's i I, honestly i think there's plenty to talk about i this is a movie that i will probably rewatch more in oppenheimer once it comes out on streaming or dvd or whatever um this movie just like it, it it did so much that was that surprised me in so many ways because i did not expect to be walking away from this movie empathizing with barbie as much as i did yeah and Shouts out to Margot Robbie, who Fantastic. really, yeah, just made to to use a probably uh, cringy euphemism. She brought a plastic doll to life, truly. Yeah, that's, you know? that was horrible. You, you should have <laughs> kept that one. Uh, <laughs> the the ending. Teenager. So we were talking about Oppenheimer's ending and how much I hated that. Um because it made something that was already obvious more obvious the ending of this movie is the most perfect ending of a movie that i've ever seen and i have never laughed at as a movie ended harder than i did for this movie the (laughs) the whole idea that barbie is she's become a, a human right she's been granted the gift of life by the creator, which I think is a fun little metaphor. Um, she's she's all dressed up. She's walking into an office, presumably for a job interview, and then introduces herself to the receptionist. Hi, I'm I'm Barbara. I'm here. I'm here to see my gynecologist. And the Love movie it. ends. Love it. Love Holy it. Holy shit. And obviously, uh, neither of us are women. But shout like, out to all the parents who had their their daughters next to them, who turned to them afterwards and went, <laughs> "What's a gynecologist?" Yeah, yeah, fucking, oh my god! And like the true meaning of being a woman 
is is going to see your gynecologist that's just fantastic yeah there's just a, there's just a lot to love about this movie i mean the music is fantastic all of the actors just look like they're having a great time oh sure design... why, why wouldn't they be like oh my god <laughs> we, we didn't even also talk about, also like, the... how many how many actors from sex education are in this movie i know Gregory loves sex education yeah. i i didn't know that uh is his name um is it alan or something oh yeah the, yeah, the yes. bully the yes, bully I, yes i think his name is alan i didn't know he was in this movie so yeah. when he showed up i was like oh what the what are we doing here it, yeah. he just scooped up everyone from sex education <laughs> poor um poor uh what's his name i know his last name is michael Sarah. no no oh. uh the guy who plays the main character on sex education that poor guy is probably like why didn't i get the oh call? <laughs> yeah no i don't know his name yeah yeah uh elijah elijah would look like yeah <laughs> baby elijah um we didn't even talk about the ken war ken war was fantastic oh, uh that musical number between uh ryan gosling and simulu amazing oh yes just just ken that's so good <laughs> i i do i did feel a little bit targeted i don't know if you did um uh michael when when the Barbies are going through their plan of like how they're going to distract the so, Kens, I'm glad their... you brought this up. <laughs> I'm glad bars. you brought this up because <laughs> I I brought this up to my to my partner after after the movie. Like, hey, you liked The Godfather, didn't you? When I <laughs> when I made you watch The Godfather, you didn't think I was being condescending, did you? I'm like I I liked everything about it, but I just. <laughs> I'm like, what am I supposed to not have hobbies now? Do I not introduce <laughs> Am I not to supposed hobbies? to engage you in my hobbies? <laughs> Can we please watch The Godfather? But the Godfather <laughs> thing, I mean, that's really funny. I mean, like <laughs> I I'm guilty. I'm the like, fact I that, haven't done it with The Godfather, but I've done it with other movies that I mean are, like, the fact movies. that I just dragged my fiance to see Oppenheimer. To Oppenheimer. Before that. <laughs> I know I know she's literally <laughs> engaging us in a joke that like 250,000 people are doing this weekend right yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. also i mean the um i forget the name of the song of the song the matchbox but, 20 song yes oh. i was a huge huge matchbox 20 fan as a as a teenager I, what I a sucked. perfect <laughs> yes. song yes also as someone who doesn't like matchbox 20 go off <laughs> lambast that song oh. I mean, blame that song. No, that song was fantastic. <laughs> it was so good. Well, now that no one can ever do that song no, ever it, again without I mean... <laughs> being compared to the Ken scene in Barbie. Just for like four hours. I don't know if I've ever been good enough. It's... Oh, it's just I yeah. Push you around. <laughs> See, look, oh this God, is it's... this is why they they did that scene. I... <laughs> it's so good another oh my god another very small thing i don't know if you caught this but uh one I of the barbies of... one of the barbies was like uh, i don't uh, why did I, I i i just woke up from a trance for some reason i cared a lot about what happens to Zack snyder's justice league <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. like did they just say that <laughs> i know they, they made so many good jokes the fucking midge stuff midge was great like the, the pregnant oh, barbie yeah. i never knew about that yeah, when Will Ferrell like walks out into Barbie Land for the first time, he's like, "Oh, Midge." <laughs> yeah, I thought we continued her. So my thing with this movie, like a lot of the discourse around this movie, has been, "Oh, this is like this is a commercial for Mattel," and like 
I'm sure that that's true on some level. Like maybe this is a commercial to parents and, and I'm not a parent and you're not a parent either, Michael, unless you have news. Do you have news no, I mean, not that? that I know of. Okay. You're currently still not a parent. Okay. Um, for like, this is not a commercial for me. I'm not going to no. buy anything from Mattel for this. Now I understand that that's not true for everyone. Um, did that affect like like did that affect how you're how you were taking this in like were you ever concerned about the commercialization of this not at all i didn't i didn't see i mean like going into it i was like well of course i mean if mattel's gonna license out barbie of all things you know they're gonna want it to sell some toys but i think that i don't think that the movie was was a commercial for barbie at all i mean you even have a character say like you have like to barbie you have ruined things women around the world yeah yeah no i, you I have agree. not made things better and like that to me doesn't seem like a commercial i mean it was a very <laughs> like brutally honest kind of take on, sure. on barbie yeah i i know i'm i'm kind of surprised that mattel like like i would like to know how, how much mattel knew about this movie that greta gerwig was making until like so, they in my in my surprise, you know, with as to who is like kind of the antagonist in this movie, I I almost suspect that like maybe there is a version of this script that existed where Mattel, the Mattel CEO was the bad guy, maybe a little bit more villainous, but sure. Mattel was like, uh, no, we don't want to be the bad guy. <laughs> See, but like honestly though, I think they made their like I think Greta Gerwig makes her point when Barbie walks into the boardroom of these fourteen men having a powwow session or whatever, like like a like a brainstorming session of or, or I guess no, it's not Barbie. It's um who's the stupid who's the stupid like assistant guy who who walks in. Uh, I, I forget his name in the movie. Yeah, he's just like he's just about. a nothing character, right? Uh, he walks in to tell them, hey, listen, like we're missing a Barbie, bad news, whatever. But they're like, no, no, we're having a we're having a brainstorming session. And it's just 14 men talking about what women, what kids want. Like th- the point is made, like whether or not they're the actual villains of this story um, is kind of irrelevant. Right. Like, well, I mean, you, you even know. got that scene at the end where. um I forget who, but someone suggests like an ordinary. I think it was America Ferrera's character suggests an ordinary Barbie. Oh yeah, he's like and, that's a terrible idea. And then he's like, well, actually, that would make a lot of money. It's <laughs> like, oh, great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That yeah. that was good. Um, well, and and he when he introduces himself to all the Barbies, you can call me mother. Uh, maybe not. Like, yeah. I think not. Yeah, <laughs> that's not gonna happen. Um, but I mean, while we're on the subject talking about Will Ferrell's character. I guess if I if there was anything that I could find that I didn't that didn't quite vibe with me with this movie, I thought Will Ferrell's character didn't really have a lot to do. You know, like after we leave the real world, you almost forget that he's even on him and all of his CEO or suits, executives, whatever, are on their way into Barbie world until they show up again. Yeah. It just kind of felt like that's you know, how I like what 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 was the point of that? That's how I like my Will Ferrell in very tiny increments. <laughs> oh brother, this guy stinks. <laughs> hey, I mean Will Ferrell was funny, and and if they had used him more, then I don't think he would have been as funny. 
Fair enough. Different strokes for different folks. Diminishing returns on Will Ferrell. It's fine. Uh, um, could have used no, more like, Michael Sarah though. Oh my god! Every time we got an Alan, his name was Alan, right? Just yeah. Al- or yeah. There's yeah. only one Alan. He's like, there's yeah, only one Alan. Get kind of confused about that. Yeah. Um. We. I feel like we're well. Like you know, there's a John Cena cameo. We kind of talked about that a little bit off mic. I think. Mm. Um. Yeah, it was fine. Like. It, it what was... did you think of? I think it's Rhea Perlman as um the creator of Barbie. That scene at, at near the end. What did you well, think so I that? liked the scene. The scene near the end was a little too. I wasn't a huge fan of that, but I did like the scene when she escapes into the kitchen. Like I knew who that was, right? I knew that that was going to be Perlman mm-hmm. before before it's revealed that I was like, oh, this is clearly the creator of Barbie. Um, I thought that was fantastic. the The ending bit was a little like a little on the nose. I mean, the movie kind of is on the nose a lot of the times. Um, so it wasn't like my my favorite favorite part of the whole movie, like of Greta Gerwig just like giving her thesis statement there at the end again. Um, I, I do really like sweet. The, yeah, like it, it was sweet. It just you know, I don't know. It, it like I kind of already got it. Like I, I liked, I liked getting it in the kitchen. I liked it in the kitchen, and she helps her, and then she leaves. You know, I, I liked that. I don't know if we needed to see her again, but well, I think it was, it was nice because it was like, you know, it kind of gave a little bit of insight into what might have been going on through Barbie's head at that moment. Right. And she's thinking about, you know, what does it mean to be human? What is the human experience? And it's sure, like sure. all this joy, but it's also all of this pain that yeah. she has been feeling and all this uncertainty. And because of all of that joy that she saw, because I think we only saw clips of like joy, right? She said that it's worth it. It's worth it yeah. to be human despite yeah. all the pain and the hardship that you go through and i thought it was a very touching yeah yeah, yeah that's fair i'm i'm like probably being a little overly critical of it like this is like let's just say this is a movie that we both gave us five stars it's probably not my movie of the year though um what would that movie, be well we talked about it i think it's last still... episode past, past lives fucking wrecked me so like you know as good as barbie is um past lives i mean i think past lives might be a movie of a decade for me right like so it's un, it's unfortunate but this is like i don't have a lot of five-star movies in my letterbox um mm. and this is one of them now so like that's still pretty pretty awesome um who knows if if this drops on rewatch but yeah i mean the rewatch will be a real test but i think this is I, as of right now, I think this is one of my favorites of the year. I can say it is my favorite. I could even see it being one of my favorites of the decade once all is said and done. I think it's a fantastic movie. Yeah, and that's honestly, I I don't think that's out of uh you know out of the equation. The thing is, like Greta Gerwig plus Noah Baumbach is a pretty good equation. Like they they're both fantastic writers uh Greta Gerwig is an especially fantastic director so like what do you want like um that you know that's that's pretty special yeah I mean I I was a little bit skeptical of um because Greta Gerwig announced or I don't think she announced it but I think Netflix announced that 
she's going to be directing two Chronicles of Narnia movies for that. Yes, I heard this. And I was like, I don't want to see her do Narnia. You know, I want I, I, I would love to see her do more stuff like Lady Bird. You know, I didn't want to see her do like these big studio films. But honestly, after seeing Barbie bring it on well yeah like i wouldn't have said like i when she did little women i would be like i don't care about little women and then i saw that and that movie was one of the best movies of that year mm-hmm. have you seen little women by the way i haven't seen it yet but i'm gonna you, i think i'm gonna watch it after you this you're yeah. you're gonna like it like it's it's a really good movie just like see that's the thing she makes these movies that seem like they're for women but they're for people who like movies like or no i should say they're for people who like films Mm-hmm. like there there's something a little bit even barbie is elevated on a film level like barbie is not a stupid movie no right and and no. i and i think like the popcorn filmmaker might not the film goer i should say might not like barbie as much as a film person would like your film nerds like like us i guess we are now like film bros mm. film gals um Greta Gerwig makes that's movies what we that... should have named this podcast film gals <laughs> that would have been good um Greta Gerwig is making movies that everyone can enjoy but film people are gonna get more out of I think yeah you can definitely right? see like she's got a, a a little bit of auteur in her yes you know? but 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 is still commercial yeah. yeah she's still commercial like I don't know ironically good... enough ironically enough uh you know you could say the same thing about christopher nolan you know I, yeah i think christopher nolan wants to be more of an auteur than he actually is though like he he's commercial yeah. and he's more commercial than credit is and he's less auteur than credit is so i had one question for oppenheimer i know that i didn't write this question here but i it just came to mind okay so concluding question about barbie all right would you want to see a sequel to this no. movie no that's no. that's how I feel too. Yeah. No. Please, please, God, no. Like, I I think it's futile. I think we are going to get a sequel just I, based on how much money this shit is going to make. No. See what I what I would want more of. What what I'm interested like don't do a sequel, but do do these movies. Do funny toy movies. Do like when you told me about the Barney movie yeah. and it's like going to be about millennial angst. Like that, that is actually interesting to me. That's fine. If you want to take an IP and make an original story around it and do something clever and creative, that's fine. Don't do Barbie too. Do, do Hot Wheels. Do, I think there's a Hot Wheels. Movie, I would right? love, I would right? love to see an existentialist Hot Wheels movie. <laughs> yeah. Or like, I'm okay with that. Just, just do it creatively. Go, go very far to some, in some direction. Don't make a middle of the road movie. Make something original and unique, like this Barbie movie, which is really weird to be saying about an IP film, but like it's incredible. And you know what we didn't mention at all, Michael? And it's an absolute damn shame. And I knew we would forget something. We didn't talk about weird Barbie at all. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Kate that McKinnon is a glaring omission from she's us. Fantastic in this movie. It's just I like knew, the beating heart. I knew Kate McKinnon was going to be great, but man I, she only had like what five minutes maybe 10 max of screen time and she fucking killed it yeah. yeah i i i loved her i loved her so much i thought she was incredible 
Uh, and the whole idea of like a weird Barbie is just so interesting. Like the, oh, you know, my, the toy my fiance even said afterwards, she's like, I had a weird Barbie. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and the yeah. characters are like, like, you know, uh, America Ferreira's character is like, yeah, I had a weird Barbie too. Right. Like oh. everyone has a weird Barbie. <laughs> and, and I think it's really good that, you know, you and I, Michael, and I'm sure lots of other men out there can watch this movie, love this movie and not necessarily relate to it. I didn't play with any of these Barbies. I didn't have a weird no. Barbie. I didn't know what a weird Barbie was, but the movie told me, and I I can appreciate what what a weird Barbie is. Yeah, it's fantastic. This must be how like partners who are not interested in the Marvel films must feel when their partners bring them to a good Marvel film. <laughs> like, wow. Like yeah. Captain America can be that cool beating up Iron Man with his friend Bucky. That's amazing. Yeah. Right. But then, and then you're going to get dragged to a bad Mattel toy movie and that's going to feel like going to Thor love and thunder. You're like what? Why is, why is uh, Russell Crowe talking like that right now? Oh God. I can't wait for Russell Crowe in, um, in the hot wheels movie. Um, <laughs> quote me when it happens. I don't. I don't know if I'm ready for a Mattel cinematic universe, though. Well, I, okay. I don't want that. I don't want a cinematic universe. Don't connect them. But like, it's fine if you want to make these movies. I feel like if they make them, they will connect them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. On a completely unrelated note, in either of your movies, did you get a trailer? I have seen so many trailers for this movie of Gran Turismo. Uh, yeah, based on a true story, Gran Turismo. <laughs> I love how they had to mention it like at least three times in the trailer. <laughs> What's the true story? I, I don't fucking know. I don't care this, enough to this look it is up. The stupidest movie ever, and it seems to be taking itself so goddamn seriously. I mean, we can talk about this more off mic, but like, what happened to Neil Blomkamp? <laughs> is that the uh, is that the, the director? Guy? He oh, he did oh. he did District Nine, which okay. was like oh, no. yeah. many people love that great movie, great movie. And then he did um, I think Elysium was his next movie, and then he did Chappie, and like after that he just kind of disappeared, and now he's back with Gran Turismo. Yeah, yeah, that's uh... <laughs> it's just like it feels like a fall from grace. I mean, I don't know, that... maybe the Gran Turismo movie is gonna be great, but it's an interesting choice. It's yeah. an interesting choice. Yeah, every time I, I I feel like this one part plays on loop in my mind when David Harbour's like, you threw up on my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm like, why why do I keep hearing that? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. So we've talked about Oppenheimer. We've talked about Barbie. I think it's time to ask the concluding question for today. Barbie versus Oppenheimer. Who wins? Who won the weekend? This wasn't a fair fight. Like it, it wasn't a fair fight. Um, obviously it was Barbie. Um, like Barbie's gonna win at the box office. Barbie's gonna win in the hearts. Barbie doesn't have as good of a Rotten Tomatoes score or fan score on on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but who cares? Like, way more people are gonna watch this movie. Way more people are gonna like it. I think Oppenheimer is like the harder movie to make um and i and i think nolan kind of did a great job but is also his worst enemy at the same time um 
you know, Nolan can't get out of his own way sometimes. I don't think Greta Gerwig has that problem yet. Um, maybe that'll happen, but I, I think Greta Gerwig is just too good of a filmmaker um, to do that right now. So yeah, Barbie, clear winner. Is that is that fair? That's all fine and dandy, but uh, <laughs> there's no real winner here. Oh, oh wow. The, so it's a trick the, question? Well, actually, there is a winner. We're the winners. See, it's it's just Barbie. She's Barbie, and he's Oppenheimer. That's that's <laughs> it. There doesn't have to be a winner. You had that line like ready to go. I think I know. I'm like, let me let this guy just talk for like five minutes, and I'm just gonna drop this stupid ass line. <laughs> You're like, uh, yeah, there's no winner. You dumbass. We're the winner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree too. I think Barbie was my favorite of the two. I still liked Oppenheimer, but. Just I, I feel lucky to have seen both of these movies in the same day. And yeah, just to have both of these wonderful movies available to us. It was, it was an was awesome experience. Time. It was yeah. a great weekend. Yeah. And I'm sure Hollywood will try and repeat this formula again. We're going to get these weird contrasting movies and <laughs> the, all sorts of weird hashtags like, and stuff. Like the question, I guess the question is going to be, though, like, are they going to do this again? Because what happens if Oppenheimer only makes $60 million, which is looking like a reality? Like Oppenheimer makes $60 million and Barbie makes $180. That's not going to feel like a win, is it, to Oppenheimer? I don't know. I mean, like, well, Oppenheimer, last I checked, I think the budget was like $100 million. Like, it's right? going to make its budget, no problem. So, but, but like, did, did they get... Like... So did the rising tide lift Oppenheimer? Did this have zero effect on Oppenheimer? Or does this did this hurt Oppenheimer? I mean, if it did, that's Universal's own fault, right? Because they could have moved the movie and they should have known. I mean, it's an R-rated three-hour movie about the yeah. guy who created the atomic bomb. Like, you're going up against recognizable IP Barbie. Like, if, if they're disappointed in its performance, that's fully on them. No, I, like I, I agree with that. I get all that. I'm just saying, like, I don't know if Hollywood wants to do this again. Then, right? Like, it, is well, it possible for both movies to win? Like, we win. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but is it possible for both movies to win in this situation? And, and I don't know if that's true. Well, I, I read something. I can't remember the exact numbers, but there was a huge share of people who bought tickets for both movies. So in that sense, there is a lot of money that was being made at, at the cine- at the movie theater this past weekend. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some kind of like counter programming thing again. Yeah, I apparently think it was like 250,000 is the number I heard yeah. in the States. I don't think it's going to be an all the time thing because I think a lot of production companies might feel it's a little bit too risky. But I wouldn't be surprised if we got something like this sooner rather than later i mean for the content it's fantastic you, you so. might even say that uh barbenheimer started a chain reaction <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say to that uh, they gave us they gave us the tools to destroy <laughs> ourselves <laughs> uh well I think that is a good place to end it when you say, Ryan. Um, of course, we do have a documentary episode. That <laughs> no, don't to... say it. You're going to curse that episode. 
Oh, I'm not saying that it's coming or not. I think that's your job. <laughs> um, I can't. I can't do it. Come on, I just can't. Say I can't say that the, the that episode's coming because it's never going to come. Some poor guy out there is like, "Don't do that. Don't give me hope." <laughs> We're going to talk about documentaries. I freaking promise. Okay, there's not a lot of good stuff coming out for a few weeks, at least. I think. I don't actually think our big, our next big release in terms of like major movies coming out um might be like october or november um, oh like dune part two you think yeah like is it dune uh i have like a little bit of a when well, is dune coming out dune comes out in november killers uh, of the flower moon is coming out friday october 20th oh, and holy I got, shit you got the trailer the new trailer yes first? yes it's amazing oh man I'm, i know i'm in I am and in. then and then we've got November third, uh, Dune comes out. November tenth, The Marvels, which I still think that that is a fantastic trailer. Um, I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie, I love I love me some DC boys, but um, I've been burned by Marvel. Too I, no, times. I know it's like I'm not. I don't trust you, Marvel, but your trailer is great. I like I like yeah. your trailer. Napoleon comes out November twenty second. Mm-hmm. Um. And then uh crickets, but I'm sure there's gonna be like more stuff that, that's not like on a release schedule yet. That, that this isn't populate. a made this isn't a major movie, but we're both very excited for bottoms. Yes, yes, bottoms is great. Not not a major movie, but it's probably one we both might even see opening weekend, question mark. Probably. Uh yeah. this isn't in theaters, but they clone Tyrone came out on Friday. Yeah, it's on Netflix. That's on my uh, my partner actually mentioned they want to watch that, so I will likely be watching that soon. Yeah. So I mean, there's still some good content, but yeah, it is gonna be it's gonna be a little bit quiet soon. Well, if you need any more content, Ben Shapiro has a 43 minute review of Barbie. In case you're interested. If you just want to give yourself an ulcer, just (laughs) listen to that Ben Shapiro video oh my goodness i just yeah it's fine all right is that that's that's everything for today (laughs) this might be our longest episode ever that's all she wrote in honor of oppenheimer and christopher nolan (laughs) all right hi ryan bye ryan hi hi michael bye michael Bye. Bye. I'm a dog, but I still want to party. Pink felt like I'm ready to bend. I'm a 10, so I pull in a can. Like Jazzy, Stacy, Nikki. All of the Barbies is pretty. All of the Barbies is bad. It girls, and we ain't playing tag. Rad, but he spank me when I get bad. I'm in LA, Rodeo Drive. I'm in New York, Madison Ave. I'm a Barbie girl. Pink Barbie dream house. The way can be killing shit. I'm yelling out like the scream house. Ye- yelling out, we ain't selling out. We got money, but we ain't lending out. We got bars, but we ain't billing out. In that pink Ferrari, we pillin' out. I told Tay, bring the Bob Dylan out. The pussy so cold, we just chillin' out. Baby, yelling, yelling, yet yelling out. It's Barbie, bitch, if you still in doubt. And I'm bad like the Barbie. I'm a dog, but I still wanna party. Pink felt like I'm ready to bend. I'm a 10, so I pull in a can. Like Jazzy, Stacy, Nikki. All of the Barbies is pretty. All of the Barbies is bad. It girls, and we ain't playing tag. Bobby ain't nothing to play about. He wanna play in the playhouse. 
the fuck they gon' say now? I'm watching these bitches, I'm rubbing a stain out. Like I'm ready to bend. All the fake bobbies just wanna pretend. Like, hold on, let me go find me a pen. Look where it led. Now I'ma put it to bed. She a bobby bitch with her bobby click. I keep dragging her so she bald a bit. And I see the bread, I want all of it. And I want the green, so I all of it. And I throw it back so he losing it. And I give the box with no shoes in it. Yeah, I know the trick, so I got him brick. Yeah, they know who hit me and bobby bitch. And I'm bad like the bobby. I'm a doll, but I still wanna party. Pink felt like I'm ready to bend. I'm a 10, so I pull in a can. Like Jazzy, Stacy, Nikki. All of the bobbies is pretty. All of the bobbies is bad. It girls, and we ain't playing tag.